Good morning, good afternoon, good evening from wherever you may be. This is Snapshots in Hockey History. Monday. Welcome to another episode of Snapshots in Hockey History, where we relive the hockey highlight reel. My name is Brett Small. As always, just a friendly reminder, Snapshots in Hockey History is a listener-supported podcast brought to you free of charge every single Monday at 8 a.m. I will never ask you for a dollar out of your pocket for this podcast. But if you want to do something nice, you want to help us out, please consider leaving us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media, on Facebook at Snapshots in Hockey History, and on Twitter at Snapshots In. As always, thanks for joining us again this week. Pretty excited with the guest we had, and I think I've told this story on the podcast. My dad used to read me the Washington Post, which came out every day back when we actually had newspapers, and he would read to me about these players that the Caps drafted, and one of them was this guy who scored this big goal in this tournament where evidently these kids get paid to play, and it's this weird thing because it's not in the NHL. Anyways, it was John Slaney, and it was, of course, when he scored the big goal in the World Juniors for Team Canada, and I got him on the podcast today talking about it. So that's really cool, and he tells some great stories. He really does a great job taking us behind the scenes of what it's like to be at a World Junior Tournament. A couple quick side notes. We recorded this over the summer. It was 90 degrees in Washington, D.C., so we kind of refer to that a little bit. So this was taped over the summer, but I wanted to air it now with the World Juniors coming up, and this is going to be the last episode before I kind of take a little break for Christmas. Um, But yeah, so it's a great interview. I think everybody will enjoy it. Uh, As I mentioned before, please don't forget to follow us on social media over the break. There might be a couple of surprises, things like that. You never know. You never know. But without further ado, we'll go ahead and cut to the interview. Here's John Slaney in talking about his run in the 1991 World Juniors, where he scores the big goal, probably one of the biggest in Canadian World Junior hockey history. Enjoy the interview. Your, your journey to the World Juniors really started in St. John's, Newfoundland. I know that Newfoundland wasn't really a hockey hotbed in the 80s, but did you watch the World Juniors growing up at all? Were you familiar with it at all? Uh, to be honest with you, no, because I mean, we I had an idea about it, but it not like not what it was. I mean, we just knew like when I was younger, you're playing for your country, you put the jersey on, and that's basically how I remember. I mean, you know, I was born in '72, and my dad was, you know, he watched the '72 series, and he talked all about that, and you know, and then for me. Knowing if anything was the uh, Canada Cup, it was held in and it was uh, held in on Hamilton at the time. So for me, you know, those kind of things that was that was our biggest when I was younger. That was for me for you know knowing the the game for playing for your country. So that's how you know. And as as you get older, and then and then when I got drafted to go to the OHL, and you know, and then eventually you got to understand what the world juniors is all about. That's when it started kicking into me. So it's not until I was, um, oh, I was 15, 15 and a half. And, you know, and then that's when I made, made my move to the Ontario league. And, and then I kind of knew about the world juniors. So you get picked up by the Cornwall Royals. You move out there, which I imagine was kind of an experience from you going from Newfoundland to the OHL. And when you said 15 and a half, 16, you know, in July of 1989, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, you were actually invited to the camp in Kitchener for the first, and that was your first camp there, right? 
Yeah, I went the year before. I went the year before myself and uh, Owen Nolan as uh, I guess as underage, really. And you know, we had there was a bunch of us there. And but that, I actually went the year before the year before we went to Saskatoon. So it was kind of, you know, when I like again, like when I first got to the world major junior, and then I understood like what was going on, and actually got invited to go to camp. I mean, I was just, you know, I was just a shock, surprise, whatever the words you may want to use. But you know, it was uh, something. As a hockey player, you, you know you're you're all excited, like I said, to play for your country. But then, just the knowing that it's, it's just kind of like another game for us because we're so you know built that way to understand to play the game. So, and I, I don't think it really hit me until I was actually on the ice and see the players that were actually in the camp and understanding how how important this is, like where this where this may bring me, you know, kind of thing. So, I, all these different ideas that run through my mind one, once I got on the ice to see the players that were there. So you get on the ice at this first camp and you're, I mean, 16 years old, 17 years old, you're young. What was camp like as opposed to an OHL training camp? Was there anything different about it or was it kind of the the same from, from what I understand? A lot of these camps are kind of similar. Is that true? They are. They are. But it's just, you know, it's just like it gets quicker. You know, you go from me, for me, I was going from really midget hockey and then I went into the juniors and, you know, it was just all of a sudden I was like, whoa, you know, I'm playing with men here, like kind of like 20 year old. I mean, I was only, like I said, 15 and a half and I was 16 at the time. So, I was, you know, as I'm going into that, like I never really played against guys this big. I, I can say I practiced because my brother is eight years older and I was practicing with his hockey team when I was 12. So <laughs> I was kind of getting, I was getting a bit of a flash, flashback to that. But I think it's just a matter of like, you know, as being a hockey player, your understanding of once you get in that role, once you get into the mode, the, uh, you know, everything, excitement that goes on your, through your body, you just go and you just roll with it. So, you know, it's um, it really, uh, for me, I really didn't think about it until I said, like I said, in the first practice, but then after you just think about the things that you did, right? You, right. You try to get better at it. And, you know, and that's when it kind of hits you is when you're off the ice. So you get off the ice and, and unfortunately you don't make this first camp. You, you, you get cut. And I'm curious, what did you take away from that? You talked about it just now. You said you had to improve on your game. What do you remember about being cut and, and were you disappointed? What did you bring with you to, to kind of try to improve on? Well, I mean, they were really good about it because like, you know, um, at the time when they were talking to us, you know, you get there, there were, you know, you, there's a possibility you still have two more years to play right. for this, you know? So it's not like, you know, there's yeah, there's there certain things you had to work at your game, which they told you. But at the at the same time, they were really positive, upbeat about you know at the end of it. So uh, it's it just a matter of just understanding like what you had to work at, what you had to get better at, and just being uh, more mature. You know, this you know like when you're that young, you think you know everything, and all of a sudden you're playing with bigger <laughs> bigger guys, and you know it's it's a wake up call. It's it's plain as simple as that. So it's just. Uh, you know, just understanding what you got to do is, as a player to make yourself noticeable and surprise people. And, and at the same time, you got to play the team way. I mean, whatever they're asking us to do, we got to do that too. Whatever they told you it worked, because this OHL campaign you had the following year was unbelievable. 97 points. You end up getting drafted by the Washington Capitals. So you're clearly on the, the upper trajectory. And as a junior player, once you're drafted, is it a different ball game? Do things change? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it, yeah, it does. It changes a little bit, but you just like, you, you can't, you, for me now, I can say it's easier, but I know as a, as a person, like you can't really, 
you always, you know, as my old coach in the minor hockey, is like, yeah, he's, you know, no matter what you do, you always got to surprise people, and you got to really find the right spot to do it, and you can't do it all the time, and you know, it's just one of those things, right? So, I just, you know, I had, uh, I was lucky enough that I had some minor league coaches that actually lived away in Ontario, prepared me how to, you know, what to expect when you when you when you do go away, how the people are gonna, you know, treat you. You know, unfortunately, uh, you know, Bob Jackman and uh, and Adrian Smith were two. I was two guys that lived in Toronto, so they kind of <clears throat> prepared me from when I did move away from home. So, uh, you, you know, I took their opinions and, you know, kind of lived off that, you know. So, you know, as being a young guy going there, it's pretty tough. But, you know, it's just a matter of just knowing what you want to do for that full hour or full hour and a half on the ice that you got to make sure you do right to you know, perform and do the right things at all time. And hopefully you do get noticed and do good things. Well, I love the fact that you go to this next camp and you talk about being noticed. And I don't know how anybody can get noticed in this camp because it was stacked. I feel like this camp for Team Canada was the NHL for the next decade. You had Martin Brodeur there. You had David Harlock. You had Ryan Hughes, Greg Johnson, Kent Manderville, yourself, Eric Lindros, so many talented players but one thing that kind of stuck out to me was how many NCAA players were at this Team Canada camp. And there's always been speculation. I'm in the U.S. I'm a U.S. guy that the the Americans always went with the, the college kids. And then they kind of major junior. They, they didn't always pick those guys in Canada. It, it was it. Did they have the reputation of the same thing where they tended to go with major junior guys or, or did it not matter? No, I personally, I don't think it matters. I think they understand of. You know, you build your team around what you think what you need because I mean, when you look at it, you had guy we had guys like Brad May and you know Scotty Thornton on the team too, and you know Stephen Rice. So I mean, they they those guys you know brought uh, goal scoring to our game. There's no question, but they brought the physical part of the game too. So if we needed that part, there, there's no question we had the, that side of the game also. And uh, I, I just think they did an outstanding job every year when Canada does. Pick, try to pick the best players for the team that just understanding who you need and what you need for those for that I guess a month of work together kind of thing and I think it was one of those eight games you gotta you gotta play tough together so eight games plus the exhibition and and I, I am curious though being a guy that played in the OHL how did that compare to the NCAA during that era things have changed now but <laughs> yeah. what was it like then I mean I, I, I can't really speak for it because I, I mean, I only hear. I didn't Fair. really actually watch. I, I think personally, I think I watched one game that was in Cornwall. I went over to uh, St. Lawrence and watched the game there. But uh, I, I, for me, I, I don't know. Like in the Quebec League, they said it was all offense. And out west is more of a rough and tough. And then Ontario is kind of like a bit of a mixture. So that's what I was told. I, I, I can't really speak for it. But for when you go to the, the colleges, I mean, it's a little bit of a boat. The kind of thing is I, from talking to guys now that I played that played there and they were friends of mine now that they said it's more of a uh, like a little bit of a skill, but try to bring some physical to the game. I wasn't always physical, so you gotta understand too. They always wore a full visor. They didn't right. wear a half shield like what we did in junior. So you know there was more pushing and stuff like that. But at the same time, I mean, when you got players that can play and do the right things, that's what you're looking for. So you know it was just a matter of guys. Uh, it's just a little it's, it's different what I see today as a coach and what I see back when we played so you know it's uh we didn't we didn't have the skill days like the kids do today we didn't do that kind of thing we all when we did our thing it was always kind of like of a team team uh, atmosphere kind of practice or 
whatever we had to do. So, so it's a definitely in the 20 years and now, like last, well, it was 30 years for me, but whatever it is, but it's, uh, it's been totally different and it's, uh, everything else has been changing. But, you know, for those guys that came out of college, they were well prepared to play. And, and at the same time, it's a different, it's a different game when you put that Jersey on for your countries and you, you know what you got to do. So you get through the second camp and you're, you're kind of leaving, you're heading back to Cornwall, I'm assuming to start the next year. What are kind of your thoughts after that second camp? Well, I mean, it was all, it was pretty pot, <laughs> excuse me, but it was, it, you know, it was pretty positive and, you know, just a matter of, you know, keep doing what I was doing and what I had to work on and, and you know, and keep improving what I was good at. So uh, it was just a matter of, you know, just stay focused. And, and again, you know, we're, it's a different game back then because, right. you know, we were kind of getting yelled at if we didn't perform and you got, and you got praised when you did, when you did good things. But <clears throat> I think as, you know, as we played, everything was looked around as a team, team, team game you know what i mean like you got to play good defensively you got to play good on the offense if we do get the opportunity you know for us in the defense we always had to make good breakout plays you know to get out of our end and you know so it's it's just a matter of always being confident of what you do and and you always got to look forward to what you got to do so and that's why i try to pre- preach today to these guys to make to the next level so you know, it's just, um, just it, the, I think the biggest thing is, is in the person is that you got to have confidence in what you do in your everyday life. Makes sense. It, it makes complete sense. And so you get called back to camp in December. It's early December, and they bring out 33 guys from that initial camp. A few people were absent, though, including Owen Nolan and Keith Primo, who had been offered to Team Canada, but they were turned away, which I was kind of surprised about. And uh, Red Wings GM assistant Nick Polano, when asked why Keith Primo wasn't there, said that the Canadian brass evidently based the decisions on last year's OHL QMJHL All-Star game. And so I, I ask you this. You played. We talked a little bit about the differences between the Quebec League, the Western League, and the OHL. When you get a group of guys like that together, can you tell what leagues kind of guys play in, or can you tell from their style? Does it? Does that make sense? What I'm asking? Yeah, no, yeah, I totally do. But yeah, once you, I think personally, all of this is just once you get guys together, just everybody reads off each other. You got to remember, like you're having to, at that time. I'm. I'm guessing you got the top like 44 guys that are probably the best in, easily of around the league right so i i mean i can't say that because i mean there is a lot of better players out there i mean you think about him marathon Berdor, i mean it was the first goalie cut when you think about it isn't that right? crazy so, isn't that insane i was yeah so i mean it's just a matter of how you're performing i don't know like it's I, it's a question i can't answer but i guess it all depends how you perform and in that week of camp, I don't know, or that was two weeks of camp. I, I really, I can't give you an answer because we're just, we're built that way that every day when you put the laces on <clears throat> type your skates, I mean, you gotta, you gotta do the right things, I guess. I mean, that's, I mean, that's how I was taught as a kid and, you know, and you gotta, you gotta respect the game. So it was Dick Todd. And was there anybody else from team Canada that you, you know, were talking to as training camp kicked off on December 13th, 1990? Well, I uh, I can't remember who the uh, Perry Perm was the other assistant coach I remember. Okay. And um, but yeah, I mean they, you know, they, these guys are you know veterans. I mean they're these guys were veteran coaches at the time. You know they they understood how to communicate with with us and you know how to do the right things and how to teach us and you know and you know and then at the same time you know you gotta it, it, again we're putting that jersey on we're excited to play we're actually playing in Canada so. I mean, it's just a whole hype of everything and what was going on. I mean, it's just, you know, you, you couldn't sleep at night. I mean, it's just, it's just one of those things. And, 
And uh, that year in Saskatoon was the first year they actually televised it. So that was. I and I want to touch record, on that. I, I definitely want to touch on that because TSN made a huge difference, didn't it? It did. It did. I mean, it's. Uh, I mean, they really didn't. T- I don't remember, but I don't remember. I just, you know, a couple of days before, you know, they were saying that the cameras are going to be following us around. I just remember that. And, and I, I don't know. It just. I guess being in the game for so long at that time, I mean, there was always cameras around no matter what. Because in junior hockey, I mean, they were always taping the games. Every game has been televised no matter what. So it was either live on TV or if not, it was, you know, it was a copyright for, you know, for them to show goals and stuff. So it wasn't a big deal to have cameras around. But just, uh, you know, I I, I guess it's after when you see the highlights of, of after the game was over and then you actually watch it. So. Yeah, that was that's that's the only thing I can remember at the time. December thirteenth, nineteen ninety, camp kicks off in Kindersley, and the only person not there is defenseman Carl Dykhouse, who got caught traveling with the Canadian national team in an airport in Munich. But there's one other notable person whose absence from the ice, and that was you. You had a badly bruised knee, and evidently had to sit out a couple practices. How serious was this knee injury you had? Do you remember it? Uh, it was it was pretty good. I mean, it was. Uh... You know, I, when I first did it, I, I couldn't bend my knee very much. And, and I actually had a twisted ankle, too. I saw the ligament sprain in my ankle, too. So it was kind of one of those things that happened right before I went to play uh, to the camp. And, you know, just when you have good medical doctors that can understand what has to be done and how to, uh, to get you back out there, that's what you got to take. And you got to take the trust in the trainers and the doctors. That's, that's what you want to do. And, and no player wants to sit out, especially that time of the year. Well, that's what I was going to say. Were you nervous that you might not be able to participate here? You've worked your whole life to get here. You're here and you got a busted knee. What happened? I mean, well, I don't, I, uh, I mean, I didn't, I don't, I mean, if they thought it was something serious, I don't think I would have went to camp. So I don't think it was that important just from what the doctors were telling me. So I was pretty confident that I was going to be able to play, but I just want to be out there right away. So and to show that, I, you know, I'm ready to go. So you're hanging out with the guys at camp. You're not on the ice just yet, but you get on there pretty quickly. And I'm kind of curious, you bring in this hodgepodge of guys. What was the atmosphere? What was the locker room like? I know Mike Craig took Eric Lindros' skates and dropped them on the concrete. Um, were guys <laughs> having fun or, or was this all business? Nah, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, the guys we had in camp are pretty loose. I mean, it's, uh, it was a pretty good, it was a pretty loose team and, you know, with the, you know, Brad Mays, another guy, right? So he's, he gives everything pretty loose and, and Craiger was, <laughs> you know, a class clown, I guess, if you want to call him. I mean, he, he kept everything, uh, entertainment. So, uh, but then you had other guys who were pretty quiet, that were good leaders, of, you know, like Scott Thornton and those guys. And, you know, when, when things had to be done and, and Stephen Rice at that fact, but, you know, when things got to have the, when you had to go to work, I guess, more or less to say, we went to work and that's when everybody stepped up and did their job. Is there anything else that sticks out to you from kind of something funny that happened at camp? Or I know this was 30 years ago, so it's hard to think back that far. <laughs> no, I just, uh, I mean, one is that we were taking Metro buses to the game for a while there, and it was cold. <laughs> wait, wait a second. It wait was, a second. Hold on. Let me, let me rewind. You were taking buses to the games? Yeah, like uh, it was like, you got to remember, there was so many people in that town, and we were taking buses from the hotel to the games. And, uh, but I mean, the thing was, it was so cold. I mean, you, it's just a matter of trying to get the bus started because it was so, oh, it was so cold. You just didn't know how you were getting. Yeah, it was freezing. It was so cold. It was freezing. I imagine so, I mean, Dave King with his mustache sitting there yelling at the bus driver, why the hell aren't we at the arena yet? And then yeah, somebody no. saying it's like minus 10. We, what do you want us to do? 
It was more colder than minus 10. It was it was like minus 30. God, I get, oh, man, this is why I'm down in D.C. in 90-degree weather. That's why you moved yeah. to Arizona. So yeah. um, the first game kicks off Sunday, December 16th. It's an exhibition game against the uh, the Huskies from the Canadian University, which uh, Stephen Rice, Drake Parakowski, Mike Craig, Scott Thornton all score goals. Um, you never played Canadian University hockey. We touched on the NCAA what was the rap with Canadian university hockey at this time? Uh, I don't, to be honest, I wouldn't really know, to be honest with you. So not a problem. We'll move on then. Yeah. Following the exhibition games, seven players were released, followed by five more the following day. And the good news is you made the team. John, how did you find out that you made the team and what was your initial reaction? Uh, well, I mean, uh, that's everything what you do every day. Remember, you're, you're going through this whole camp. You're you're tired. You're hungry. You know, your your adrenaline's always going. You're not sleeping. Uh, it's just you know your body is just so. I, I don't want to say beaten down, but you're 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 just exhausted. And, yeah. You know the one the one way they you know they came and told us is just you know when once we show up to the rink and understand there was just like that many guys were in the rink and. And uh, they told us, I mean, everyone was pretty, pretty excited. And I, I think that, you know, we we're just ready to go. I, it didn't matter if the 44 guys were there or how many guys were there at the time. I think everybody was ready to go no matter what, when, when the last call was. Just we're ready to go and do our job. Was there anybody that got cut from the team that you were kind of surprised that got cut? I know Adam Foote, who would, of course, go on to have a great NHL career, was cut. As well as Scott Sissons from the Saskatoon Blades, who was tearing up the Western Hockey League. Anything surprise you? Well, everything. I mean, it doesn't matter. I mean, it's you can't really you can't really pinpoint one guy because at that time, like I said, you got you got the best players in the junior hockey or you know from college hockey to play for Canada, and and no matter who 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 made it, or who didn't make it, and the guys who didn't make it. I mean, it's just uh, it's part of the job, I guess you could say at that time. But it's just you know it's sad to see those guys not being able to to go there and play for their country. And, you know, it's, uh, it, you know, at the end of the day, we're all friends because we all know each other and we all grew up playing against each other. So that, I think that if anything, that's probably the toughest thing, but mm. it just happened so fast that, you know, we, we practice in the day, we eat lunch together and then we go to bed and we, we go do the same thing all over again. So you're, you're in that rhythm of not understanding what's going on because once that tournament got over, all of a sudden we got, we're dismissed and we had to go back to our junior teams and we couldn't really celebrate the way you, I guess a real championship championship team could celebrate together. And I, I want to touch on that. But before we get to that, you have a few more practices and exhibitions. And as you said, this went by quick. It was like four or five days. Next thing you know, it's Boxing Day. Canada clipped Sweden five to two in Red Deer, Alberta in, a, in, a, in an exhibition game. And at this point, you've been with the team a few weeks. Who are you living with? What's the living situation for you guys? You talked about being bussed around, but but take us behind the scenes. What was that like? Well, you know, we always, you know, we had our schedule every day, what was going on. We, for roommates, we were kind of getting moved around with roommates. I mean, especially on the D, on the backside. So we're kind of like getting moved around. I mean, I spent most of my time with my D partner, Jason Marshall, at the time. Uh, but, uh, you know, just to get to know your, your teammates better, I guess, when you're actually in the rooms together. But behind the scenes, you know, we're pretty lucky. We had a place that we could actually, uh, you know, camp out. We, you know, it's in the hotel. We had an area that we had TVs and ping pong and, you know, just uh, just different. I just to get away from the hotel was a bigger, bigger living room, if you want to say, uh, mm-hmm. for the most part. But again, you, you got to remember, it's it's so cold that you couldn't even go outside to go for walks. 
but just the hype, just the hype outside too, you know, as much as we try to avoid the TVs and the radios and what's going on, just to, you know, to keep ourselves relaxed, I guess, before games and stuff like that. But, you know, it's just, it just, everything happens so fast that you just don't have time to even speak to your parents. Cause I mean, you know, all our parents are there and we try to, you know, say hi to them every once in a while, but we didn't even get the opportunity to see those guys as much as what you, you think you would. So you're just, it's on the go so much. And even before the tournament, it sounds like the media and fans are excited. And one thing I didn't realize is I thought the tournament was just in Saskatoon, but it was pretty much across the 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 area, I guess I should say. It was played in several towns and cities. Is that right? It was. Uh, we, we played our games, like you said, in two games in Regina, our first two games. But then we went, went back to, uh, to Saskatoon. So I, I personally right now, it's been so long, I don't remember. No, no, it's just... This but is yeah, great. Yeah, but uh, yeah, so we when we uh, we bought, I think it was about a two-hour bus ride up there. So we we bust up and back kind of thing. So it was uh, we had to play our games up there, and you know it's it's being in Canada, right? The, in the freezing cold you know, in December. Yeah, but just you know the hockey hockey is the number one thing up there, and the whole town is excited, and you know it's just the atmosphere is just. You, you, you just can't get – you just have to get excited. It's just, you're, you know, you've got goosebumps for almost two weeks. <laughs> I'm getting goosebumps just hearing this, and we are haven't even started on the tournament. How did you guys spend Christmas as a team together? Well, basically, uh, I mean, I, I, I'm trying to remember as we go here, but uh, at the same time, I mean, we, we're there for 10 days to uh, two weeks kind of thing, and it was just all about hockey and – you know, I think that Christmas morning, you basically woke up and you pretty well said, you know, Merry Christmas. And that's pretty well that, you know, let's, let's go back to work kind of thing. And, you know, you're at that age that you just, no matter what you want to do, you want to sleep and get your get your rest as much as you can. So, uh, you know, they treat us well, you know, that's when we got our, you know, our goodie bags, if you want to say so, our, our jackets, more jackets and, you know, T-shirts and, you know, your hats and stuff like that. So, you know, uh, everything worked out well. You know, our schedule every day, we're prepared. We had our time to relax. We had our, we had our own, ta- own time for a little bit. So it was, uh, you know, they did their due diligence of everything, what we had to do right. Oh, they kept you very rigid. And Canada kicks off this tournament in style with a 6 nothing win over Switzerland and Saskatoon. Or no, excuse me, in Red Deer, as you said. And this yeah. game might as well have been considered the Eric Lindros show. He racked up <laughs> five points. Other notable highlights included Mike Sillinger scoring two goals, as well as a shutout by Trevor Kidd. You had an incredibly unique perspective on Eric, because not only did you defend against him in the Ontario Hockey League, you also are now playing with him. What can you share with us about Eric Lindros, of course, who went on to go in the Hockey Hall of Fame? Well, I mean, Eric was, you know, he was the big man on campus. I mean, he was definitely, like I said, a big man on campus, but he was a big man. I mean, he... uh, I guess if you really want to say, he was kind of like the shack of the NBA at the time, I guess, more than anything, because, you know, when Eric did his job, when he wanted to go out and push around guys, I mean, he was, you know, he didn't have any problems with it. And, you know, it and when he wanted to play his offensive part of the game, he did it. And when he wanted to play his physical side of the game, he did it. So, uh, you know, when you got guys like that to, and now the guys to back him up, I mean, there's no question he had a lot of room to do what he did. So, um, Eric was, you know, he was a good leader. He did the right things. I mean, we all, every, we all spoke up as much as we could, but certain guys did more and he was one of those guys. Canada would play its neighbor to the South in the next game. Uh, game two is against the United States. And I'm curious, I think it's safe to say that now USA versus Canada is considered one of the top rivalries, in international hockey. 
But mm-hmm. back then, was USA Canada really a rivalry? US Canada? Yeah. No, not really. No. I, I didn't mean, think it was. So. I, I'm not going to say it wasn't, but it was. It wasn't. It, like, it was, but it wasn't. Uh, yeah, it was more Russia. It was normally it was Canada versus Russia, more or less to say. And uh, I don't know how many years back now. I mean, I could be lying if I said 10 years, but I mean, it could be a little bit longer than that. But, you know, our, for us, it was always against Russia. Uh, you know, you always got. You got excited when we played those guys, and that's why we, uh, you know, no matter what, if we played them in the first game or if we played to play them last game, it was like that was like our championship game for that. Well, it's incredible to me because now when I see I see USA Canada, everybody that's that's the game you circle in an international tournament. Back then, though, I wouldn't think of it as a rivalry, even though you know, it, it really until '96, I would say with the World Cup, did we really start seeing that matchup? But this team, USA, had some pretty good players on it. Keith Kachuk, Ted Drury. And it ended with some controversy. It ended up being a 4-4 tie. Um, but it sounded like the U.S. team threw everything it had at Canada and just couldn't, you know, they had Canada against the ropes, but really couldn't beat them. Do you remember anything about playing the U.S. game? Yeah, I just, the one thing I remember totally was that it was just a game went back and forth. It was just like, if I remember correctly, I think we yep. had a 2 nothing lead, yep. I think. And then I think, and I just remember that we let we took our foot off the gas, and we just didn't we just didn't pressure pressure as much as we did. As that's the exact same thing we did in the last game against Russia too. So I think we just went kind of back in the deep uh, defensive shell. And uh, I, you know, you get to a certain point in the game, you want to do the right things and not get scored on. But unfortunately, when you do back up, that's what happens. And then and then we give them too much room to to do their thing and then when they had the opportunities to score they that's when they capitalized and scored against us and then just no question hey listen we we knew who was on that side and we knew how important they those guys were and once they knew that they could push around they were going to push and that's what they did following the u.s game canada had a travel day so they got to drive through the freezing cold as you've told us about in the buses and then on saturday december 29th bounced back after the tough u.s game to destroy norway 10 to 1 Sounds like a pretty lopsided game. I think Norway had one NHLer on there, future NHLer Espen Knutsen. Um, but Felix Potvin actually played during this game, and, and we haven't touched on the goaltending at all. We talked about Martin Broder being cut, but your goalies were Trevor Kidd and Felix Potvin. What do you remember about them? Well, I mean, Felix was definitely a guy. I mean, you know, coming out of Quebec, like I, you know, everybody knew Mar- about Marty, but at the same time, we all knew about Felix, and Felix's training camp was outstanding. I think. Uh, I think he only let it one goal, I think, the whole time that we actually did the inner squad game. So it's like we knew that no matter what we had, we had two good, or we were going to have two good goalies. So um, just a matter of, you know, who played what and who and who stayed healthy the most because, I mean, there was a few injuries, I guess, you know, with, with Kidder at the time, Trevor Kidd. So uh, the important thing is, is that everybody had to stay healthy. The following day, Canada picked up a nice win over Sweden, who was backstopped by future NHL goaltender Tommy Salo. After the game, Jason Marshall, your line mate, was quoted as saying in the Star Phoenix newspaper, saying the Norwegians didn't give us much competition on Saturday, but we were kind of surprised by the Swedes. <laughs> Do you remember that? Is that a fair statement? Yeah, because the Swedes weren't really... It's funny, but I can say it now because, you know, some of those guys I know, and Peter Forsberg is, uh, you know, a good friend of mine when I played in Colorado, and and I don't believe Peter was playing in the tournament until the second year. Yep. But anyways, um, 
Yeah, I remember talking to Peter after, and I was, you know, Peter did say we weren't really prepared how we are today kind of thing. And that was, I don't know, what, eight years later or something, six, eight years later. And just understanding how how they had to adapt to playing against in the North North American ranks. And, you know, it's just, you got to remember at the same time, like we're going around pushing these guys around. So, you know, as much as we could, we were trying to hit these guys, get them off their games. And hopefully that's what we scared them with. And, and that's what we... We looked forward to it of doing it every night when we were playing the games. At this point, four games into the tournament. So now you've kind of gotten the swing of things. You've kind of gotten the style. You've played quite a bit. What was Dick Todd like, though? I'm sure at this point you've kind of gotten a feel for his coaching style. What did he preach? Was he an offense guy, a defense guy? What do you What do you remember? Well, I think it's both. You know, it's uh, you know. We've, it was both. I mean, you had to take, you got to make sure you always, we always, that was one area that I always learned that you had to count five. Yeah, I was for a defenseman, you had to count five because you always had to keep the offensive guys in front of us. Yep. No matter what, the opposing team, then as much as you could. And, you know, you know, I, I, some teams still believe in it to this day, but at the same time, you had, you had, you had to be able to defend to go on the offensive side and make good breakout plays, no matter it was a forward or defense or whatever the case may be. And, and you always had to make sure you had to take care of your net. So uh, I just remember growing up, and, and that was one thing that was always talked about and said. And, and it was no different than when, when we did play in the, in the World Juniors there that we actually had to take care of our net and round our net in front of our net. So no matter what we had to do, that was the important thing. And, and just the small details. I mean, that was, that was the other part because, I mean, you, you got to remember we're only together for so long. And we're not like we, we didn't start. We didn't start in September, so small details of like blocking shots and you know making sure you get pucks in, get pucks out over the blue line. So, you know that was kind of like the most important speeches. And and when you did get the opportunity to shoot, we had to hit the net. You know, it's no difference, I guess, really when we talk about the today's game. But that's that was the that was really the game back then because we we didn't have any video what what the kids have today. Oh, you didn't have any anything. You couldn't just pull up a, a game right afterwards and show somebody on the bench what happened. <sighs> No, not at all. The team was lucky enough to have December 31st off, and it was back to hockey the next day on the 1st, and the Canadians took on Finland and picking up a 5-1 win where Trevor Kidd's performance was raved about by the media. Um, at this point, the win put Can Team Canada behind the Soviets, who were 5-0 and in the tournament. So, you, you know, I I've talked about the Soviets. We you've talked about how busy were you guys were. Were you able to catch any of the other games that were going on? Were you following those at all? Uh, we were we weren't at the games, but we were following what was going on basically by through the TV and you know TSM was was really keeping us up to date and you know again we tried to stay away as much as what we we had to listen to and what we didn't want to listen to so you know we want to keep away from the you know the important parts but uh, at the same time we you had to still understand what was going on by other teams and and we're lucky enough that you know Finland did their work for us. <laughs> <laughs> so at this point, you're in an international tournament in the early 90s, the late 80s, early 90s. The big word, of course, is defection. And of course, nobody's going to defect from Canada to Canada. But evidently, security was beefed up. Did you at any of your years, not really necessarily this one, but any time, ever hear of these defection stories at tournaments that you played in? Well, yes, kind of. Yeah, I, I mean... Later, I guess a couple of, what was it, uh, about a month after, uh, Michael Bavanka. Yep. And the, uh, he ended up coming to uh, Washington with us. He, that's basically what happened with him. So, 
you know, it's uh, it's just an interesting story how it happened, how those guys had to live, and how they want to be able to you know pursue, pursue their career in, in the National Hockey League. So uh, I became really good friends with Michael, and he told me the story how everything happened, and it was just it it was an eye opener. It was uh, <laughs> it's something different that I don't I don't think we'll ever experience again. It seems like Canada's at a great spot with the tournament, but as they say, nothing is ever easy. And on January. Uh, in early January, this Team Canada loses a heartbreaker to the Czech national team. When Martin Ruschinski scored with a deflection that went past Trevor Kidd with only two minutes left, giving the Canadians a 6-5 to five loss. Or excuse me, the Czech team a 6-5 to five win. This Czech team sounded like it was loaded with NHL stars. Ziggy Palfi, Joseph Stumpel, Yuri Slager. Can you share what you recall about this game? Well, yeah, I mean, it was, uh, it was one of, if I do remember correctly, I think we took some bad penalties also. And, and, uh, I think they ended up scoring some goals that way too. I mean, I don't know if they actually scored on the power play, but they got momentum. And I think if I remember correctly, that we ended up taking too many penalties. And, and, uh, it was just a matter of like, just understanding, like I said before, we just, you know, we weren't playing well enough defensively. We we're giving up too many opportunities, too many second, third chances. And I just think at that time, like that late in the, uh, that late in the tournament, you know, you got to understand we're we're you know we try to get a rest as much as we can, but we're tired too, and and at the same time, you know, we're trying to do the right thing in front of our, our fans and uh, and not not to make wrong mistakes. And when when we did make the wrong mistakes, they capitalized and score goals. So um, it's funny because I can talk about it now. And uh, my brother-in-law, we actually my brother-in-law was on that team. Really. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, Yaroslav Modri. Oh, that's crazy. You're kidding me. Yeah, yeah. so uh, no, it's just a short story. But anyways, when we played together in L.A., his wife, well, it was his girlfriend at the time, Jody, which is now his wife, I ended up meeting Jody and marrying her sister. Oh so we actually, we actually ended up marrying sisters. <laughs> so all these years later, we've got the, yeah. the NHL connection still like going here. Oh, my so, God. Yeah. That's funny. Well, let's talk about who wasn't on that team, though. I can't believe this when I read this. No Yager, no Nedved, no Reichel, no Holik. Four guys that were in the NHL that could have played on this Czech team. If they had those four guys, do you think they could have won the whole thing? Yeah, me saying that now, yeah, pretty well. I mean, it was a pretty good chance. I just, you know, their goaltending and like anything else, though, I mean, if you don't have good goaltending, I mean, you're going to have issues, right? So, right. Um, I mean, that's, that's name of the game. I'm not just not name, not just saying the goalies are there, you know, the, the reason why you win or lose, but at the same time, you still need to be able to have the uh, confidence in those guys to make those saves when the shots are coming from the outside. So, uh, but missing those four guys, I mean, that's, that's four pretty offensive guys that they were missing at the same time. I can't believe that this loss occurs and I'm sure that you guys were pretty upset. What was the vibe with the team after this loss? Cause it pretty much almost eliminated you guys, didn't it? Pretty well, because we ended up tying the U.S. The, the, the game that we tied the U.S. kind of put a damper on us, too. So if I remember correctly, I yep. just, you know, we, we should have won that game against the U.S. We had to win that, and then we were able to give up a game. And, you know, before we end up going to, the, you know, play Russia. But I, I got to say, as much as that game was the important game we lost, so was the U.S. where we tied 4-4. So it's, uh, it works either way. Finland, who ends up at this point is 3-2 in the tournament, pulls off a huge upset against the Soviet Union and ties them 5-5. And at this point, this was not like a tournament. It was literally you played eight games and it was a point system. 
So with this win, you guys get a shot of life. How, what is going through your head when you see, oh, my God, it's one game and it's all on the line? <laughs> well, yeah. So after we found out that happened and then that was just, I don't want to say chaos started going, but chaos started going. But we we kind of were, we were set up anyways because, you know, again, I got to remember of, you know, of uh, Canada versus Russia, no matter what happens. So even if it wasn't that important a game, it was important for us as Can- Canadians and, you know, to play against Russia because we always talked about beating Russia. So that was one area that we talked about after, you know, we, you know, we're upset after that check game, but the other part is that we can't, we couldn't dwell on it. Cause nothing you can do about it right? and just focus on the next game ahead. And, you know, even if we couldn't go for it, I, you know, or beating Russia was just as much as winning the gold medal for us too. So back then, did you sleep at all before this Canadian Russia game, at all? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I just it was funny you say that. There's one thing I could just say. I just remember we opened up the window because our room was so hot at the time, and uh, because I mean, again, you got to remember it was so cold that we kept the heat on in our room just to stay warm but at the same time i mean you know when you're paired up with your roommate and hopefully your roommate likes the same way you like to sleep so we end up uh, i just remember waking up in the middle of the night and had to i don't know why i still remember this day but i remember this day that we had to open up the window a crack just to get some air in our hotel and and um yeah i mean um I just know I took a good nap because still to this day I like to take naps and, and from my from my playing days. But uh, you know I think the biggest thing is is that you know when you get to the rank and understanding there's like so much media going around and and just the hype throughout the whole town. I mean it was again once you get around the rank there's just so many people around there that's just the excitement is just you can't miss it. At this point in the tournament you've played seven games this is going to be the eighth game how did you personally felt you had played up until this point if you had to give yourself a report card how do you think you'd played well i mean i it's hard to it's hard to remember but i just you know you know for me personally like if doing certain things a certain way and you know just a matter of understanding if you got scored against or scored for you know it's you know chance against or or, or i guess more than any else scored against or, or scored for but um you know you, you i personally myself i'm never happy enough until you know, until you do outstanding things but at the same time you have to under, i had to understand that it's like this is a pretty pretty big teams out here with good players and, and you got to do the right thing for your team you know you can't uh, it's not like you can take the puck like Bobby Orr back in the day and rush the puck because you know that's how what when you're a young kid that's how you dreamed everything to do but <laughs> at the same time at the same time like you had to you had to perform and do the right thing for your team so uh, for me is the most proud is that you know as long as our team win I got the two points at the end of the day that's that's I think everybody feels good when 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 you lose or when you lose the game I think I'm pretty sure everybody loses together at this point it's five Canada's five one and one Soviets are six oh and one is anything said before this game that you remember from Dave King from Eric Lindros from Stephen Rice from anybody not really because I think that we've gone so far into the tournament that, you know, everything is laid out on the line. I mean, it, we all knew our systems. We knew what we had to do. You know, it was just, you know, we knew we had to, I guess, more than anything else, we had the sixth man coming, or seventh man, I guess, if you want to say in hockey. But we knew we had the crowd behind us when things got right. Uh, it was just a matter of making sure we had the momentum on our side all the time. You know, it's that was the biggest part. But for the most, for that, for back then, no, I mean, it was just, 
giddy up and go and let's get at it kind of thing. That's how, you know, they, they, that, that's how we used to pretty well talk back then. And I think it calmed nerves down, made everybody, you know, feel good about themselves and, and do the right things. Team Canada hits the ice to a roaring crowd and a roaring ovation. And Canada kicks off the scoring early with a goal by Pierre Sevigny on five, five minutes and 12 seconds into the game, followed by Stephen Rice making it 2 nothing. The tempo of this game had to be incredibly fast. And just a few years later, you would be in the National Hockey League. How would you compare the speed of this game to kind of other levels that you had played at? Was it right up there with the National Hockey League or not quite? Well, I mean, it's hard for me to well, remember, but I just remember that it was just a fast pace. The first period was just such a fast-paced game that you really didn't have much time to think. And for me as a defense, we had to get the puck to the force, and then if you had the opportunity to, you know, to jump into plays and make sure that everything was in front of us. And, you know, it was just, you know, it was just a matter of just doing the right thing and not making a mistake. And that's that's how we, you know, as much as we don't want to say it, but that's how we were talking on the bench. Get pucks out, get pucks in, you know, get get the pucks in there. Let's crash to the net kind of thing. And, you know, that's how we that's how we stayed. And that's how we stayed on the bench. And that's how we kept talking all the time. So, because, you know, against the Russians, if you get the opportunity to do that kind of thing, you know, you got the opportunities, to, you know, to finish and get rebounds and score goals. And, and um, but at the same time, you know, it's just, it's second. And a game like that, you know, everyone talks minute by minute, shift by shift, but it's just second by second because you don't know what's going to happen. So you just got to, you know, whatever happens and when you're on the ice to do the job, you better get the job done and do it right. So it's just uh, uh, for for players, I mean, it, it was loud. There was no question it was loud, but I think is that when the players are playing, once you're, once you're in the game, you're in the game. So you really don't, you're not, the distraction outside you really don't see because you're so involved in the game. They had Pavel Bure. They had Vacheslav Kozlov, Sandus Ogilins. So many guys that would go on to play in the NHL. And you might not remember this, but I'm curious. Do you remember who you and Jason were paired up against that game? Or was it just a, a rotating uh, rotating basis? We didn't really pair you up against anyone specific. Well, it wasn't really paired up. I mean, it was at certain times. Yeah, we won certain guys out there. I mean, I... Um, um, I can't remember his name right now, but uh, one of the guys uh, played in Montreal. Uh, Patrice Brisois. Brisois. Yeah, it was Brisois. As much as we could. I mean, he, he was really the guy. He was the guy that we really wanted on the ice with uh, against uh, Burry there as much as we could. And uh, But at the same time, I mean, if you end up being out there, you had to understand that, you know, when you got those guys to play against each other, that – you have to know who's on the ice and you have to defend well and you got to do the right things. And it's not the time to be a hero kind of thing. And, you know, for defense, you got to move the puck out and, and make sure there's no nobody behind us. The Soviets start to make a comeback when Sergei Tegorenko intercepted a pass and blasted a pass Trevor Kidd. The following period, Sandus Ozelens made it 2-2. And then at 14 minutes and 47 seconds, someone from Team Canada scores this goal. Can you walk us through what you remember about this unbelievable goal that I'm assuming changed your life. <laughs> well, I don't know. I just, you know, I was there to do my job and that's what I tell every time, every time I get asked about it, I, you know, I just had to be the lucky guy at the lucky spot and lucky enough to be able to shoot the puck. But, uh, you know, I just remember we had to win the game. We had to win the game. And, you know, that was part of my, you know, career that I was always offensive guy and understand when pucks are rimmed or pucks are coming out to either you're if you stay in you better keep it in and if you don't feel comfortable you got to back off and and at the time when 
when the puck came around, I just I felt 100% comfortable enough that I was going to stop the puck because there was a rush and take it off behind. And if I didn't keep it in, it was a two-on-one going the other way. But, you know, as always, you know, what we talked about, you got to get pucks to the net and you got to make sure you hit the net. So my whole thing was is that I knew for a fact I had to keep this puck in. And when I got the opportunity to shoot it, that's what I was going to do. And and I just, I just remembered, I knew there was a guy – chasing out and my partner had to chase him down but I didn't know if anybody else was leaving at the time but I, I knew I was confident enough that I can keep this puck in and then be able to get the puck in that as quick as I could and that's I just I took a half slapper and and then I guess it's history it went in that <laughs> and for you I mean in your mind are you thinking holy sh I just did this well right away we didn't know I to be honest with you I didn't really know it went in because it was you know, I just remember seeing Greg Johnson. He was kind of the guy who was standing in front of the net. And he, when he jumped and I saw at the same time the red light came on, that's when I knew I scored. And before I knew it, I was on my back from Ken Manorville jumping on me. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, so when the goal went in and, you know, you're so excited that you scored. But you re- I, personally, like, I can still say it to this day, like, when you score a goal, you're so excited. So you, you, you're just excited because you scored a goal for your team. But just to understand that how important that goal was at the time, no, not at all. Because I was just like side score. You end up, it seemed, I'm assuming it was like second by second in this game. Canada ends up winning it though, three to two. After the game, in the locker room, the media, the the press, was it overwhelming? I mean, you just became an instant national celebrity in Canada. Uh, I mean, it was, uh, to be honest with you, the only thing I remember, the locker room was so full with people. I mean, everybody, your parents, you name it. I mean, it was. I mean, it wasn't the biggest room, so you got to remember that first of all. But at the same time, there's so many people that like worked for us. I mean, you got to think about the general managers and the other people that worked behind him. And so you got to you got to think about. It. I mean, we had 20, 23, 22 players, twenty three players, and then on the top of that, I think there was like fifteen staff, and then then you got double the parents coming in. So uh, for the media part and all that, I mean, yeah, it, it's, it's definitely you know it was it was different. I mean, I don't think. I mean, I when I got drafted in Newfoundland, I mean, I I seen a lot of media people there because you know back then it wasn't too many guys that left Newfoundland, and uh, but for the most part, for the I just I just remember we had to celebrate because that was the only time we could celebrate as a team because again, I like I said, we we left at eight o'clock the next morning, we had to go back to our teams. So that night, you guys get out of there. I'm hoping that you guys went somewhere, you had a couple pops, and got to relax, and then just like that, that was it. You were gone the next day. Yeah, I mean, we we I we didn't leave the rink for. I mean, it was after one o'clock. I mean, we sat around in the rink for a long time, and then we ended up going to just a couple blocks off. I remember we got dropped off and we went in there, and that's basically where they kept the kitchen open for us. We ate some food as much as we could, and and then we had to rush back because we had to I mean we had to pack up and we had to leave the next day. Talk about anticlimactic! Here, I'm waiting for this big celebration and everything, but I guess as they say, life goes on, and and. You know, to kind of wrap things up, I have to ask, John, you know, 30 years later, people are still talking about this goal and you would go on to have a hell of an NHL career, hell of an AHL career. But does this goal, is this the one thing that everybody kind of comes back to you with? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's like I said, 30 years I've been 
every it's right around every early first week of December that I always get the phone call to do the interview and I'm more than happy to do it. I mean, like I said, I was, I just was the luckiest guy to be able to, to be in that spot and be able to score that goal. So, I mean, that's, you know, again, everyone dreams about scoring, I guess the Stanley cup game seven winning goal, but at the same time, we got, I got the opportunity to play for my country and be able to score that goal. And, uh, and, um, you know, it's funny because every time it does come on TV back home, I, I get somebody from a text now or <laughs> something just to remind me. So it's kind of nice. And, and it's just funny to see the young kids today that, you know, you got the Google you, and you get to be able to look up things. And, and then now I'm like, some of these guys like are asking me questions like, you actually, you, you played in the World Juniors? I'm like, yeah, I played. <laughs> so so those, those little questions like that now is pretty funny to understand and, so it's 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 good. I mean, it's just amazing how you know how things happen, and you know how young these guys are, and then and then how long ago that goal actually happened. I mean, it, it's it's just crazy because I feel like it was just yesterday it happened. Two things I'll say: one, anybody that you coach that says, "Did you actually play in the World Juniors?" You give them my email. I'll send them this interview. <laughs> Number yeah. two, this is why you said the first week in December, everybody reaches out. That's why I did it the first week of August. I figured I'd give you the six-month buffer. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. No, I appreciate that. John, what are you up to now? I, I give everybody at the end of the podcast a, an opportunity to kind of fill people in with what they're up to. I know you're doing some coaching. If people want to, you know, read about to track you down, are you on social media or anything? And, you know, I'm pretty busy now. I'm my wife, Brenda, and I have two kids. And, you know, Tyler's 17 and my daughter's 12. So, uh, they're very active in hockey and with school. So, um, you know, just that's that's basically what I do every day. <laughs> I'm pretty well in the rink because both of those guys are playing hockey. And my, my actually, my daughter's playing on two teams this year. So I don't think I'll ever get out of the rink and are, this season. And are you still also coaching with the Phoenix Coyotes organization? Yeah, yeah I'm, with, I'm still with the Arizona uh, Coyotes. I'm actually coaching in Tucson with, with the American Hockey League. So going on my third year there. So... I think we've kind of forgotten about how big of a rivalry Canada versus the Soviet Union or Canada versus Russia really was back in the late 70s, 80s, and 90s. It's not really the same anymore, I don't think so. The rivalry I think of now is the U.S. versus Canada, but it really was a hot rivalry, and this was a huge goal for John, and the World Juniors really were becoming a big thing, and this launched him into becoming a national celebrity. So it was really cool to sit down with him and hear about it from his perspective and what he remembers, and I really enjoyed also hearing about like the backstage you know, backstage stuff, quote unquote, I guess you can say about kind of how they were being bust in and, and how cold it was and stuff like that. And it's it's funny what you remember, like he remembers actually opening the window in the middle of the night. I don't know. I just thought that was cool. So thanks to John for coming on. Just a reminder, going to take a couple weeks off. We'll be back in the new year. So happy of a happy holidays to everybody and a Merry Christmas. Have a safe and happy new year. We'll be back. Starting then, I'm going to use the next two weeks to kind of uh, try and, uh, first of all, take a little bit of a break, but also try to get a couple of interviews lined up. It's hard to do one every week, uh, but I want to keep doing that. That's kind of the thing. I've gotten some feedback when I haven't done them, and I want to uh, let everyone know I really appreciate that. I love hearing from you guys, so that's cool. Anyways, have a great week. Uh, good luck. Happy holidays, and we will talk to you in 2020. God, I can't believe we're already at the end of the year. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.